You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Please join me in welcoming and thanking new patrons. Caitlin Monahan, Inigo Rumshakir, Jordan Peterson, Jennifer Davis, Jolene Knight, Brittany Noel, and Clicky Clack Man. All patrons get early commercial-free access to all Sunday and Wednesday episodes. From there, tiers include weekly bonus episodes, immediate access to our entire back catalog of over a thousand Patreon-exclusive episodes, and logo merch. To see how you can support the show and get rewarded, please check out our donation tiers at patreon.com creepypod. Now... This is Creepy, a podcast dedicated to sharing the most famous, chilling, and disturbing creepypastas and urban legends in the world. Whether these stories truly happened or are simply fabrications is for you to decide. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence and explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Creepy Presents My son's first camping trip was also their last. Written by Kyle Harrison Christy, I don't know how to start this letter except to tell you the awful truth. Our son's dead. I'm sitting here alone in the mountain cabin you rented for us, drenched in blood. My hand is shaky, and I feel pain in my soul. Our children died by my hand. I have to admit this to you. And once you read this letter fully, you'll understand why I had no choice. Someday... You may even find it in your heart to forgive me. But I'm not asking for that right now. Instead, I want you to please read this with an open mind. I know that what I'm going to tell you is going to seem unbelievable. But I swear on my life, on my soul, this is precisely what happened. It may be my last chance to get the facts straight, so I beg of you to read it all the way through and then come to your own conclusions. If not for me, then for the three amazing boys we raised together. This is their last will. This is their last testament as well. It made my heart flutter with excitement when you surprised me on my birthday with a weekend getaway to your dad's old cabin. We haven't been there since he passed, and there's been an ache in my bones to go up to the mountains. Plus, the boys had never been at all. The boys have always been antsy as well, whether due to school or just the stress of life. They'd heard about it the last trip, but never had really experienced the mountains like we had. 
And of course, you knew we all needed a break. The most disappointing thing was when I found out you wouldn't be able to join us. Your mom wanted us to have a boys trip, enjoy the outdoors unfettered. I knew she also wanted to use the time to be with you. Her health hadn't improved much since Christmas, and I could tell from your phone calls that life-changing discussions would be happening soon. I didn't press the issue or show that I was going to miss you. Instead, I kissed your cheek, squeezed your hand, and promised I would enjoy myself. Even if that was only half true, I made a promise also to myself that I would give it my best. It was easy for my attitude to change when I saw our boys packing. All of them have taken after me with their love of the woods, especially Garrett. Last year we bought him a crossbow. He was especially interested in taking it with us and trying it out on a few hawks. I brought some gear as well because I figured this would give me a chance to teach Luke how to fire a gun for the first time in his life. The boys ate, and honestly, we let his older brothers do this stuff when they were six. Maybe it's because he's the baby and we're too protective. But I was determined to make this trip special for him. Colt was the only one who didn't seem to have the same enthusiasm about the trip. My guess at the time was that some girl had him wrapped around her finger and he wasn't keen on being away in the hills without a way to keep in contact. In the past, before your dad died, the cabin was hooked up with Wi-Fi and all the modern amenities. But from what I gathered now, your mom only kept a bare minimum amount of maintenance on the place. This trip felt like we were saying goodbye to a lot of things, if I'm being honest. So that made my resolve to enjoy it even firmer. With fishing gear, hunting knives, bows, and other luggage all loaded into the Tahoe, we were ready to go that Thursday night. Thanks to a school holiday, we had three days to enjoy and get lost out in the woods, and weather said it would be clear all the way. It would be a five-hour drive, and we'd drop you off at your mom's house and be at the cabin around noon on Friday. Garrett wanted to leave the same night and hardly slept a wink. He was asking questions about trails, fishing spots, and even found a few caves he wanted to go explore. Even Colt was finally coming around to the idea of it thanks to that attitude. I think the last thing I told you before I waved goodbye at your mom's was that I would call you when I got there. Of course, I entirely forgot that cell phones don't work here. It was just a force of habit, and we laughed. You felt confident that our children would be safe with me, and you'd see them again on Monday morning. A short trip, but we were going to make the most of it. By now, any blues I had were long gone, and for the remainder of the trip, I played I Spy with Luke. Garrett was half asleep, and Colt listened to tunes as we got further up the mountains leaving the world behind without a care. At the final rest stop where I had a signal, I checked to make sure you hadn't messaged me. I was almost about to let you know we were near our destination but decided to not bother you. Then we drove another 45 minutes and made it to the cabin. There's not another structure for miles. Your dad owns so much land up here with his logging business and most of the forest is still untouched. We did see a few of the trucks about five miles down the South Pass, but nothing that would interrupt the untamed beauty of the mountaintop. Luke ran up toward the overlook on the east side of the cabin and hollered excitedly toward the valley below. 
It echoed for miles. The cabin itself is just like we left it. Frozen in time, I suppose. A massive den opens in the front with your dad's hunting trophies on the back wall. Garrett asked me if that old blunderbuss your dad kept actually fired. I told him I would hate to find out. A kitchen to the left, along with downstairs bathroom and game room and an office. I told the boys to take their stuff upstairs as I pulled off some of the drapes from the furniture. No one has bothered any of this stuff since we were last here, so it was rather dusty, but rustic feel of the cabin was very inviting. The large back patio with sliding glass doors looked towards the East Valley as well. It's right above the basement stairs where the laundry and freezer and generator are at. It's also the perfect place to sit and drink an ice cold beer. I have to admit, I wish I'd brought some. Looking toward the miles of forest, I felt lonely and exhilarated all in the same moment. The woods were so quiet, almost haunting. I wondered if during the time we spent here we would even find anything worth hunting for. Luke was first on the patio, checking out the old binoculars that were still sitting on the deck and scanning the forest for any signs of life. The forest did seem unusually still, though. He asked me if we could go bird spotting later in the day, and I said we would. Then I told him to get his brothers and help me with the fishing gear. The plan was to go to the old pond and fetch our dinner, like real wilderness explorers. The boys met me at the Tahoe, and I frowned as I saw Colt still wasting time on his cell phone. Despite the fact that there wasn't any good signal here, he was waving it around in the air, hoping for one last chance to shoot a text. I tossed the phone in the back of the Tahoe and ordered him to lug the lure box, leading all of them down a western path that zigzagged to the pond where your dad fished all the time. For the rest of the afternoon, we lazily sat on the pier in lawn chairs and cast our lines. Colt brought a radio, but instead of catching any tunes, it was just weather reports. A meteor shower was expected for the night. Luke asked if we could stay up to watch it. It was just a relaxing day. I remember thinking that this was the sort of escape I needed. But it wasn't meant to last. After catching a few trout, I told the boys to head inside and shower while I went to the basement to gut the fish. We were going to eat our small catch and then probably watch one of the VHS tapes that your dad collected. The evening wore down without a hitch, and I found myself just barely able to stay awake as all of us piled on the couch to watch a classic B-movie. Something about an invasion. Somewhere in the middle of the black and white film, I drifted off, and the boys were just as dead tired, too. I wish I could say I had good dreams that night, but the smell of burnt popcorn is the last decent memory I have. Somewhere along in the night, All of us were awakened by the loudest crash. Garrett jumped up first and I fumbled to find the lights. All of us were staring out the back door where we saw a distinct trail of ash flowing up from the edge of the valley. A few moments later, the power in the cabin went out and I guess whatever had happened out in the woods was affecting the generator. The boys wanted to go investigate. I told them to stay put until I found a working flashlight but every device I tried in the cabin was suddenly drained of power. That didn't sit right with me. 
and it made my curiosity intensify as I told the boys to stay close and follow me toward the impact site. The air seemed unusually still that night. Not even the crickets were stirring. And it occurred to me that we had not seen a single sign of animal life since arriving at the cabin. Besides the fish, that is. Did they somehow know about this beforehand? I knew that instinct could easily have driven them away. And I was getting a feeling in my stomach that maybe we should leave too. A few miles down an old trail, we found the crater. Luke excitedly hollered at the strange smoke in the area while I focused on the deep hole made in the earth. Whatever had crashed had gone down quickly, but it was too far down to make heads or tails of what it might be. I urged the boys to stay awake from the edge as I tried to see if there was a different way to get down there and have a better look. Maybe it was a sixth sense that overtook me, but after several minutes of standing there staring at the hole, I got a hold of myself and told the boys we should all head inside. I promised we would come back in the morning and try to get a sample of whatever had crashed, but honestly, I just wanted to get out of there. Whatever was in that hole, it did not feel friendly in the slightest. They objected a little, but it was too dark for them to argue, especially when I pointed out the noise would attract predators. Cole tried to say there wasn't a bear for miles, but I gave him the stink eye and he shut his mouth. Back in the cabin, I told them all to get to bed. Once I was sure they were in their rooms, I went up to the patio and looked toward the crater again. The hairs on the back of my neck were standing up as I heard this faint noise. I couldn't be sure where it was coming from. It almost felt like it was engulfing me. I rubbed my tired eyes and collapsed on the couch. I had no reason to think anything else would happen that night. But boys will be boys. As I slept, they concocted a plan to go down into the crater. I'm not sure who his idea was or if it mattered, but they somehow managed to sneak past me and gather rope and climbing equipment from the basement on the way. I only found out because when I woke up to go to the restroom, I nearly jumped from the couch. Luke was standing there, keeping an eye on me as a lookout. As soon as he saw how angry I was, he panicked and claimed it was all Garrett's idea, but I didn't care. I just needed to know where they were. Luke nervously pointed to the crater, and I rushed into the night to find his brothers. He was right at my heels as I shouted to his older brothers, thanking the stars they hadn't descended into the pit when I found them. Colt had found a rope, though, and was testing it out against the trunk of a tree when I caught them red-handed. Of course I scolded them, but I was also thankful I hadn't arrived a moment too late. Or so I thought. Luke was catching his breath near the precipice when the ground gave way under his feet. It happened in slow motion. I tried to grab him, but he fell so quickly. All I could do was watch and listen to his scream. The world felt like it was spinning as I shouted to him, trying to make sure he was okay. My heart racing even faster when he didn't respond. I told Colt to pass me the rope. He hurriedly obeyed and I wrapped it tight around my waist. Then I used the heavy trees as my hoist to head into the dark pit. I kept calling to Luke, but I couldn't see anything. The pit felt like it was a mile long and every second that I couldn't find him felt like a lifetime. Finally, I hit the bottom and I tried to feel around for our son. 
The ground was cool, hard, and filled with indentations. Something from above had definitely crashed here, and it made me nervous to realize I was standing on top of this otherworldly object. I also felt a crack in the middle, like an eggshell splintering. Something sticky was oozing out, and I imagined the most repulsive yoke. Finally, I touched Luke's hand and pulled him to my chest. I also felt blood, and that made me panic. I needed to get up and get him to the hospital. I held him against my body and pulled away from the rock as fast as I could. I still felt his heart beating slowly, even though he was unconscious, and that gave me hope. I just needed him to hang on a little longer. Back at the mouth of the pit, I placed Luke on the ground and got a better look at his injuries. Blood and strange black powder smeared the right side of his face. I'm not going to lie to you, Christy. It looked bad. I tossed the rope off and ordered the boys to hurry for the Tahoe. My mind was racing as I ran with our youngest in my arms. Sure, my body was burning and pulsating with pain, but I didn't care. His life was on the line. My worst fears came true when we made it to the Tahoe and I realized the power in the car battery had also been drained. We were miles from anywhere and it was the dead of night. I told Colt to open the doors to the cabin and I took Luke inside, placing him on one of the couches in the den. I then ordered Garrett to get ice from the freezer and bandages from the downstairs bathroom as Colt closed the door. He was trying his best not to cry. I was too, if I'm being honest. And as I stared at Luke's face, I realized that black powdery substance seemed to be spreading. It was covering almost all of his head now, and I shouted for them to hurry as I took his shirt off and checked for any other injuries. Garrett and Colt stood aside as they kept trying to wake their brother, shouting his name. I didn't know what else to do. I prayed to God that our boy would not be taken from us. Luke suddenly let out a wide gasp and began to gag, his eyes bulging as he grabbed at his throat. That black material was now seeping into his airways. Fight it! Come on! Get him in the shower and get this stuff off him! I shouted hysterically as I tried to help him up. But it was already too late. A few moments later, Luke wasn't breathing at all. His body jerking violently from whatever that black stuff was doing to him. Then he was very, very still. I collapsed in a heap of tears as I grabbed at him and tried to make him come back to me. Garrett and Colt said nothing. I honestly don't know what they felt but their brother was gone. I checked for vital signs a few more times, but it was pointless. I draped my coat over his body and stood up, trying not to lose my cool again in front of my other two sons. They blabbered and cried and apologized, and I honestly couldn't even begin to describe how awful I felt as I held them. I promised we would go home as soon as the power came back on. As we held each other out there and near the back door, Colt wordlessly pushed away, and pointed towards Luke. I turned in surprise to see that our boy was sitting up, his entire body now an ashy brown color, 
His eyes were dark red and that powder he'd been covering was now slowly falling off his body like a mist. The thing that infected our son screamed and began to crawl towards us. Garrett and Colt fumbled over the furniture to race to the kitchen. I ordered them upstairs and blocked the steps. This strange, undead abomination that now wore Luke's face didn't seem to be able to visibly find us, shambling about the den like a mad animal. Was it searching for food? Did it intend to harm us? I found the answer out quickly as it shrieked and coughed up more powder, some of which burned my skin. I managed to wash it off in the kitchen sink quickly, realizing this alien menace was intent on killing and subduing all of us. Before I had time to even think about a plan, the thing was cornering me in the kitchen. I grabbed a knife to protect myself, its tongue spewing out of Luke's mouth and sliding across the floor. Such an ungodly sight. I knew our son was gone. And I had to fight to save Garrett and Cole. I rammed the knife into the creature's chest and then ripped it out to slash at the throat. I had no idea if it was simply using our son's body as a host or if it had any other way of survival. But I simply had to end it. Delion was stronger than I anticipated, grabbing me and pulling me toward the wall. Its skin bulged as it prepared to spew more powder in my eyes. But instead, a shriek exited its lungs as I heard the sharp thud of an arrow strike it. It lost its footing and I looked up to see Garrett was holding his crossbow, preparing to fire again as the beast tossed me aside and crawled up the side of the wall to the second floor. Garrett was not prepared for its ferocity and speed. I screamed and tried to draw the beast's attention to me as I struggled to stand, but it was already too late again. It burst out more of the black smoke grabbing a hold of Garrett and dragging him toward the edge of the second floor railing. I motioned for Cole to run down the stairs as his older brother fought for his life, tumbling down to the den floor and crashing into the coffee table. The beast was trying desperately to consume him, stretching Luke's skin like a net over his body. I yanked Cole toward me and ran for the basement, desperate for a new plan as Garrett begged me to help. I reached for the crossbow he had dropped and fired another shot. Somehow this one bounced off the creature. He'd hardened Luke's skin to become like a shell. And I was helpless again, as my second son was eaten alive, screaming for mercy. I plunged into the basement, slamming the door closed and demanding we barricade with anything and everything we could find. Colt rushed and found several old boxes of junk and a few other items, but I knew it wouldn't be enough to do the trick. We had to find a way to escape the cabin and find help. Otherwise, we all die here, I realized. I couldn't even properly mourn Garrett when the creature began to bang on the basement door, trying to find us. Colt was trembling, clawing for an exit somewhere else. We used adrenaline to push the washer aside and found an old crawl space near the dryer. It looked like it was used to push lint out, but made wide to avoid clogs. Just barely big enough for Colt to get out. I demanded he flee as I heard the door splinter and snap. Down the mountain. The rest stop was a few miles, but if he kept running, he would find it. 
He crawled away as I found bags of ice to defend myself with. The creature was nearly in the basement. It now took the form of our two boys combined, their arms and legs dangling like spider limbs as it raced towards me. Their heads merged into a dreadful mouth as it tried to attack. I flinched and ran up the stairs, this time slamming the door from the other side. I tried to think of anything I could use to kill the thing. The only thing that came to mind was fire. Despite the loss of power, I knew the old propane stove worked and the fireplace could be stoked. I would have to destroy the cabin and try to make the beast burn up in the process. But time was running out. I tried to turn on the valves and then scrambled to the kitchen to find some of your dad's old cigarettes. Ironic, what killed him might be the only thing that saved me, I thought. Then I heard a noise from below, like bones breaking. And my heart sunk. From the basement stairwell, an abomination lurched out. It could hardly move at all now, combined with all the flesh of our three boys. Colt had returned to save me, I guess, only to go straight into the creature's maw. It used their voices to taunt me, shrilling and shaking as it struggled to move toward me. I realized their combined size was too much for the beast to handle and seize the opportunity. I ran for your dad's trophy wall and loaded his ancient blunderbuss. The thing hadn't been fired in ages, but I only needed it to work just the one time. The alien was almost on top of me, and I pointed towards unfathomable mouth and fired. I can't even describe the explosion of guts that cascaded across the cabin. But the deed was done. I sit here now, having burned the corpses and made sure not a single part of the beast remains, struggling to stay alive and pen this confession. This testimony to our survival and the survival of all humankind requires you to believe me. I'm sure the creature infected me as well, and it won't be long till it takes over my mind. It's evolved since it first struck. When it took Luke, it was mindless. Now it sees that to survive, it will need to be smart. Be silent and hide in plain sight. And I think it's found a way to recreate hollow shells of our boys. I keep having strange visions of them laying in their upstairs beds, covered in silk like that of a spider. Except it ebbs and flows... It breathes. The creature will hide what happened here masterfully. When you come here to meet me and our weekend trip is over, you will be unaware of what transpired. Garrett, Colt, Luke, and I will smile and be ready to return home. But you must not believe the smiles. I've managed to use what little sense is left within me and hide this letter in a place that I know it can't find, but you will always check. I grow weak. My mind is not my own. Forgive me, Christy. Please make certain that we do not die here in vain.
please stop it from spreading. Hello, Bill Band here from the All 80s Movies Podcast to tell you about Factor Meals. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get your 50% off today. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. For your bonus episode, Creepy Presents Bloodline Hunters Written by Danielle Hewitt and narrated by Alicia Atkins. The rain pounded against the roof of the old abandoned house as the private investigator, Charlie, made her way inside. She had been tracking a pack of werewolves through the woods for days. She had been hired by a client who had lost several of their livestock to the pack, and she had been determined to take down the creatures responsible. Charlie had been dealing with supernatural creatures her whole life, Ever since she was a little girl, she had been able to sense the presence of the supernatural. Her mother, Sarah, who had also been gifted, had trained her to use her abilities to help those in need. Sarah had always known she was different, even from a young age. She had an innate sense for the supernatural, and a natural talent for combat that Sarah recognized as a gift. Sarah had been determined to train her to become a supernatural hunter just like herself had been. She had taught her everything she knew about the supernatural world, and had trained her in the art of combat. Sarah had also recognized that she had unique abilities that could be harnessed and developed. Her ability to sense the presence of supernatural creatures allowed her to locate them quickly and efficiently. Sarah had taught her how to hone this sense, how to focus on it, and use it to track down her targets. In addition to her supernatural sense, Charlie also possessed an impressive physical strength and agility that made her a formidable opponent in combat. Sarah had trained her to use her strength to her advantage, teaching her various martial arts and weapons techniques that would allow her to take down even the most powerful supernatural creatures. But perhaps her most impressive ability was her power of telekinesis. She had the ability to move objects with her mind a power that had proven invaluable in her fight against the supernatural. 
Her mother had tried to help her develop her ability the best she could, but they needed more time and training to get it under control. Time wasn't something they had a lot of. Charlie's mother had been a gifted hunter, but even with all the training and knowledge, she had been killed by a group of werewolves when Charlie was only 16 years old. Sarah had been on a routine hunt in a dark alleyway. It was a job she had done countless times before, and she was confident in her abilities. But that night, she had come face to face with a group of werewolves, and they were more powerful than any she had faced before. Sarah had tried to fight them off, but they were too quick, too strong. They overpowered her, pinning her to the ground with their superhuman strength. She had fought back with everything she had, but it was no use. She used her last bit of strength to wrench her head around to the shadow that hid her daughter. She looked toward the shadow and mouthed, I love you, as the werewolves had bitten into her flesh, tearing her limb from limb and leaving her in pieces in the alleyway like discarded trash. Charlie had been there, hiding in the shadows, watching as her mother was attacked. She had wanted to intervene, to save her mother, but she knew it was too dangerous. The werewolves were too powerful, and she was just a teenager. She had to watch as her mother was taken from her, helpless to stop it. After that night, she had dedicated her life to hunting down the creatures that had taken her mother from her. She had trained relentlessly, honing her skills in combat and learning everything she could about the supernatural. And with every victory, she felt a small sense of satisfaction, knowing that she was one step closer to avenging her mother's death. As Charlie made her way through the dark, musty house, she could sense the presence of the werewolves. She had come prepared for a fight, with her silver bullets and her trusty silver knife. She tensed, gripping her weapon tightly as she rounded a corner. She found herself face to face with one of the werewolves. He was a massive creature, with fur the color of burnt sienna, and eyes that glowed like embers. He bared his teeth and let out a low growl, warning her to stay back. But she didn't flinch. She stood her ground, ready to do whatever it took to stop the pack from causing any more harm. The werewolf was massive, easily twice her size, with razor-sharp claws and teeth. He was fast, too, and before she could react, he lunged at her. Charlie fought back with everything she had, using her training and strength to dodge the attacks and land blows of her own. But the werewolf was too powerful, and she quickly found herself on the defensive. The fight was intense, and it quickly became clear that she was outmatched. She was battered and bruised, and the werewolf had her pinned to the ground, ready to deliver a killing blow. As she slowly started to lose consciousness, her mind drifted to her mother and father. Charlie's father had died when she was very young. She didn't have many memories of him, and Sarah had never talked much about him. According to Sarah, he had died in the line of duty, killed by a powerful werewolf that had ambushed him during a hunt. For Charlie, the loss of her father was always a source of pain and curiosity. She had grown up with a deep sense of respect and admiration for her parents, both of whom had sacrificed so much to protect others from danger. And while she had always wondered about her father and what kind of man he had been, she had learned to accept that he was gone and that she could never truly know him. 
Charlie's heart was racing as she faced off against the snarling werewolf in front of her. This was one of the toughest fights she had ever faced, and she was fighting with everything she had. The werewolf was massive, its muscles bulging beneath its fur. It was much stronger and faster than any other werewolf she had ever faced before, and it seemed to be able to anticipate her every move. She was holding her own, dodging the werewolf's attacks and landing a few blows of her own. But she knew that she was fighting a losing battle. The werewolf was simply too strong, too fast, too deadly. As the fight wore on, she felt her strength waning. She was bleeding from a number of wounds, and she could feel her energy flagging. The werewolf was relentless, never letting up for a moment, and she knew that she was in serious trouble. Just when it seemed like all was lost, she felt a surge of energy coursing through her body. She focused all her willpower on the task at hand, summoning all her strength and fighting with everything she had. She managed to land a few good hits on the werewolf, and she could feel it weakening. But just when it seemed like victory was within her grasp, the werewolf landed a devastating blow that sent her flying backwards. She hit the ground, hard, her vision swimming. She struggled to her feet, but the world was spinning around her. She could barely stand, let alone fight. The werewolf advanced on her, baring its fangs. She knew that this was it. She was going to die. But even as she faced down her own mortality, she refused to give up. Summoning all the strength she had left, she leapt at the werewolf, tackling it to the ground. They tumbled across the ground, each struggling for dominance. In the end, it was Charlie who emerged victorious. She managed to land a final, decisive blow that sent the werewolf crashing to the ground, dead. She lay there, gasping for breath, her body battered and bruised. But even as she struggled to stay conscious, she knew that she had won. She had faced down one of the most powerful werewolves she had ever encountered, and she had emerged victorious. It was a hard-fought victory, but it was hers and she knew she had earned it. The rest of the pack descended on her as she fought for her life. She was completely focused on the task at hand. Her senses were heightened, and every move she made was precise and calculated. But in the midst of the chaos, she heard a sound that froze her in her tracks. It was a low, guttural growl, and it was coming from behind her. When she turned around, she saw her father. Or, at least, what used to be her father. The kind eyes that had looked at her from old photos were now menacingly staring into her own eyes. Her father was a formidable figure in his werewolf form. He was massive, standing nearly seven feet tall, with a thick coat of shaggy gray fur covering his body. His muscles bulged with an otherworldly strength, and his jaws were lined with razor-sharp teeth that gleamed in the moonlight but it was his eyes that truly stood out. They were a piercing blue, with a deep unsettling intelligence that seemed to cut right through to the core of Charlie's being. There was a coldness in his gaze, a sense of ruthlessness that sent shivers down her spine. His movements were fluid and powerful, his steps seeming to shake the very earth beneath him. As he moved, the muscles in his shoulders and back rippled with each stride, giving him an air of both grace 
and raw power. Despite his fearsome appearance, there was something undeniably human about him, a sense of familiarity that tugged at her heartstrings, even as she fought for her life. He was her father, after all, and she couldn't help but feel a twinge of sadness at the thought of having to fight him. But as much as she loved him, she knew he was a danger to her and everyone she cared about. And so, with a heavy heart, she steeled herself for the fight of her life, knowing that the only way to save herself was to defeat him, no matter how much it hurt. For a moment, she could do nothing but stand there, frozen in shock and disbelief. This wasn't possible, she thought. Her father had died, hadn't he? But as he drew closer, his eyes blazing with an intense, almost feral energy, she knew that she couldn't deny the truth any longer. This was her father, and he was now one of the creatures she had dedicated her life to fighting. For a moment, they simply stared at each other, neither of them making a move. Then, slowly, she raised her hand, ready to defend herself against the creature that used to be her father. But as she did, something shifted in her father's eyes. The intensity faded, replaced by a glimmer of recognition, and perhaps even a hint of regret. And then, with a howl that echoed through the night, he lunged at her, claws bared and teeth gnashing. In that moment, she realized that the father she knew was gone forever. He was now just another one of the supernatural beings she had sworn to protect the world from, and it was up to her to defeat him, no matter how much it hurt. She tried to reason with her father, to find some way to break through the werewolf's instincts and get him to remember who she was. She had hoped that she could reason with him, but the look in his eyes told her that he was beyond reason. Dad, please, Charlie pleaded. I don't want to hurt you. I never wanted to hurt anyone. I just want to help people, to protect them from the things that took you and Mom from me. Her father growled, his fangs bared. I despise you, Charlie. He spat. You and your mother annihilated our kind. You sided with the hunters, the humans who want nothing more than to destroy us. You don't deserve to live. Her heart sank as she realized that her father would never see her as anything other than a traitor. She knew that she had to defend herself, but the thought of hurting her own father made her sick to her stomach. Despite her misgivings, she knew that she had no choice. Her father was a threat, and she had to protect herself. Daddy, it's me, Charlie, your little girl. But it was no use. Her father was completely consumed by his werewolf form, and he lunged at her with deadly intent. His body slammed against her, knocking her off balance and careening her into a nearby wall. She fought back with all her might, using every weapon at her disposal. But it was no use. Her father was stronger and more experienced than any werewolf she had ever faced before. Through her tears, she pleaded with him to stop, begging him to let her live. She thought of her mother and the lies she had told her about her father. Had that been all she'd lied about? 
Her sadness was now bubbling and transforming into an anger that she had never felt before. She opened her mouth to scream, to let out all the anger and anguish she was holding on to. And with that, a force she had never felt before, she hurled her father back with a powerful blast of energy. It sent him flying through a wall into an adjacent room. He landed hard on the floor and struggled to get up, falling a few times before slowly rising to his feet and stumbling. She seized the opportunity, leaping up from the ground and running right at her father, sinking her silver blade directly into his heart. She sank to the floor with her father, who was still weakly snapping and growling at her. The other werewolves looked from their leader to her, deciding what to do. Her father let out a loud snarl and howl. The pack took off out the nearest door. As her father lay dying in her lap, she felt a mixture of emotions. Sadness, anger, and a sense of closure. He had been consumed by the very thing that she had dedicated her life to fighting. She stood there for a long moment, looking down at her father's lifeless body. She knew that she would never forget this moment the moment when she had to fight her own flesh and blood to survive. Charlie stumbled out of the house, her body battered and bruised from the fight with the werewolves. Her clothes were torn, and blood dripped from several wounds on her face and arms. She leaned against the wall, trying to catch her breath, as memories of her father flooded her mind. Despite everything that had happened, she still loved him and the thought of killing him had left a deep scar on her soul. As she staggered towards her car, she could feel the weight of her injuries bearing down on her. She knew that she needed medical attention, but she also knew that she couldn't afford to let her guard down. There were other supernatural beings out there, just waiting for their chance to strike. We know what you did, someone growled. You killed our father and now we're here to get our pound of flesh. Father? Had her father had more children? She knew that the situation was dire. She had no choice but to defend herself, and she braced herself for another fight. The two werewolves charged at her, their claws and teeth bared. Charlie moved with lightning-fast speed, dodging their attacks and striking back with her own. She used her telekinesis to hurl nearby objects at the werewolves, sending them crashing to the ground. But the werewolves were relentless. They kept coming at her, their attacks growing more and more ferocious. She felt her strength waning, and she knew that she was in serious trouble. Just as the werewolves were about to land a fatal blow, she felt a familiar surge of energy coursing through her body and unleashed a powerful blast of energy that sent the werewolves flying backwards. They regained their footing and stared at her. This isn't the end, sister. One of them said and took off into the nearby woods. Charlie collapsed to the ground, panting and sweating. She knew that she had narrowly escaped death, but she also knew that the werewolves would be back. She gingerly lifted her shirt and winced in pain as her fingers traced the outline of a bite just below her ribs. She had made enemies of her half-siblings. She had been marked by the pack, and they would stop at nothing to avenge their father's death. Despite the pain and exhaustion, she got up, 
straightened her back and clenched her fist. She was a warrior, a protector of the innocent, and nothing would stop her from fulfilling her duty. She climbed into her car, started the engine, and drove off into the night, ready to face whatever lay ahead. For more information on this podcast, including how to submit your own story for consideration, please visit creepypod.com. You can also follow us at creepypod on social media and YouTube. All stories told on this podcast are done so through Creative Commons Sharealike licensing or with written consent from the authors. No portion of this podcast may be rebroadcast or otherwise distributed without the express written consent of the creepy podcast production team and the story's author. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Item number SCP-5186. SCP-7160. SCP-7533. Object class. Euclid. Keter. Safe. Special containment procedures. Spreading across the hemisphere and kicking up vast amounts of ash and dust. But the only thing I could hear was at 7219 laughing. Do you remember your name? Counseling. Appointment update. I feel them again. Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. They're in my ears! Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. Nobody understands! SCP Archives is a weekly fiction podcast. Each episode, we dive into the strange, the unknown, and the... Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at scparchives.com.